0: Go ahead and flip to Exodus 20 today, Exodus 20, verse 12, and uh, the parallel passage is Deuteronomy 5, 16. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, talking about family glory today in the fifth commandment. Exodus 20, verse 12, let's read that and then we'll pray. These are the words of God. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we are grateful this morning for your provisions and blessings, knowing that you, as a good Father, bestow those gifts with joy. As your children, we honor you as Father, and ask and pray that your Spirit would aid us as we seek to obey the fifth word. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So we have arrived to the fifth commandment what we call the fifth word which brings the so-called first table of the law to a close typically this is sort of an aside but typically people assume that the first four commandments have to do with love of god and then the rest of the six the last six have to do with love of neighbor and that's typically how people will, will 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 divide it up and ultimately we know that when the rubber meets the road, that all of the commandments have to do with loving God and loving neighbor, ultimately. We know that. They're sort of interwoven in that regard. However, I do believe that if we have to parse out the commandments into those categories, love of God, love of neighbor, then I'm still convinced that the fifth word itself, the fifth commandment, still belongs with the first table. That is, it still falls under the grouping of obey and love God. Loving God falls into that category. Um, or honoring your parents falls into the category of loving God. So this isn't obviously anything too much, something we need to quibble about too much at all, really. However, it's my conviction that the only possible, the only possible way to view the family appropriately is to anchor anchor this concept of family within God himself because he is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Ultimately, everything goes back to the triune God the equal ultimacy of the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, And that, of course, shows us what the family looks like. But it it shows us what the family looks like in terms of blood and covenant. And so those themes are going to pop up as we go. Now, in the modern world, we find that humanism has extended its gnarly branches and gnarly barnacles around everything, essentially choking the life out of many God-ordained institutions the the desolation of the family is perhaps the foremost institution that we see under attack today and this has certainly been the case for a long long time when we consider the pandemic and the and the, and the government's response to the pandemic and yanking health care out of the hands of you as a family and forcing these things is, is obviously an egregious error and an overstep of jurisdiction but humanism Uh, As Jordan referenced here a minute ago, humanism sees the family atomistically. Atomistically, A-T-O-M, atom, singular. Atomistically, that is, it's this ancient relic relic from the past that should be disposed of in order to empower everyone individually. So hence the word atomism. Atomism, um, meaning, meaning and purpose is solely found in the separated parts. So the only way that you can truly be a person is if you see yourself Uh, The family is only a means to your selfish ends. The the family is just there so you can become this individual, and so it fails to see the the beauty of that particular collective. Not to discredit individual purpose and those types of things, but there has to be balance, and and that's something that pagan worldviews do not have. So no longer do we have a trustee family with property, with wealth, business in a future. In atomism there's only people exploring their lusts and benefiting the good of the whole the modern state. That's typically what we see now is is your job is to just benefit the modern state. That's that's what you're supposed to be doing. So people exist in this in this mindset, people exist not for the purpose not for God's purposes but for the collective purpose of statism. So um some of you guys know, I mean, most of you know, but kids will ha- have a rude awakening, but when you start working and, and you see people took money from you before you even got it, and who's FICA, right? <laughs> Why is this here? And so you suddenly realize you're kind of caught up in this huge system and, and it feels like there's no escape, but of course we know that there is and can be. So that's, that's really what the modern state does. That's what humanism does. Your job is just to serve the collective statist ideas. That's all you're supposed to do. So, and and that's, there's a reason why Marxist ideology is rearing its ugly head again. Many, many reasons why. Now, the opposite of that, though, is a biblical trustee family. A biblical trustee family assumes things like property ownership. It assumes things like self-government, which are two things Marx hated. Humanism elevates man as a collective in a status hell, but Christianity emphasizes God's institutional authority and things like generational wealth and self-employment and entrepreneurship and learning a trade and those types of things. And so these two ideas are completely at odds, what the humanists wanna put forward and then what Christianity puts forward. And all of these concepts, of course, converge on the fifth word. And so if we, my argument is if we're going to have a God-centered view of the family, we need Mm -hmm. to deal with those issues. So what should a family look like? What is the purpose of the family? What is the purpose of the family today? Um, What goals should we have in our families or future families? There are questions like that. Those are the things we're going to take a look at. Adam and Eve were told to subdue the earth. Well, we need That starts with the family, so we need to know how to get there. So let's look at our passage again. Exodus 20, verse 12 reads this. Honor your father and your mother. Very basic command, right? It didn't say don't disrespect your parents. It, says, it said in the positive light, like we saw last week with remembering the Sabbath. But honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. Now, Deuteronomy 5 says something different, and you don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but Deuteronomy 5.16 says, Honor your father and your mother, same words, as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long, and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now, the basic emphasis here, those two commands are the, are the same. But as we've seen before, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy is the second, that's why the word Deuteronomy comes from, is the second giving of the law to the second generation after the Exodus redemption from Israel. So remember, Moses had led the way. They rescued the Israelites out of Egypt, and they wandered in the wilderness, and God met them in Mount Sinai, gave them his law. And, but as things unfold, as we learn in Exodus and even into Numbers, there were some problems that ensued, and the first generation that came out of Egypt was not permitted to go into the land of the, of the promised land. And Deuteronomy adds the phrase, "As the Lord your God commanded you," which, of course, references back to Exodus, which they may have experienced if they were children. Perhaps they were in the baby sling, walking on dry land with walls of water. You know, they didn't know that though. Maybe they were all infants. We don't know. Maybe they were three-year-olds who remembered. But um, that first generation was gone. The second generation needed to remember that, because they may have been too young to even remember anyway. But that references back to the Exodus, as well as the phrase in Deuteronomy, it says that it may go well with you, that it may go well with you. So there's a connection between honoring your father and your mother, that it may go well with you. And then, of course, we know in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So the audience in Deuteronomy was essentially on the precipice of, of inheriting the promised land. That was the great inheritance that God had said. You are going to have the promised land. So God warns them here to take, it, take this very seriously. And it is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not a recommendation. You know, if you get around to it, honor your father and mother. Not a suggestion. Not a recommendation. It's a command from Father Yahweh to mimic his behavior as a father. Historically speaking, the second generation they had essentially seen their parents fail in covenantal loyalty. They had seen their parents fail in covenantal loyalty. This would have been a very real concern for them, which is why I believe God emphasizes the commandment and the condition that it may go well with you. So children who are growing up, honor your father and mother so that it will go well with you. There's an attached condition to it, unlike what had happened to their parents. Don't let it go bad like when they disobeyed. Generation before had disobeyed and now they're reaping that, or they already had at that point, they were already judged for it. Don't, don't act like that. So the, word, the words here are, are, are important and I do believe they give us insight in how we are to act towards our parents. The word honor here is actually related to the, word, the Hebrew word for glory. So it's not wrong to say glorify your father glorify your mother not that would not be a wrong word choice here as long as we know what we're talking about uh, in glorifying them or honoring them we are giving weight to them that's the literal mean of the hebrew word kavod glory means to give weight to something something of value something of importance so it's not wrong to to think you should value your and have your parents they should be important to you so we value them, we esteem them, we show respect to them, um, even in our disagreements. Even if we, well, I'm going to do things different because I have it all figured out at age 20, you know. Uh, even if that's the case, we are to esteem them, we are to honor them, show respect to them. Our general disposition towards our parents is one of love and appreciation, service and gratitude. Now we are told in Scripture to glorify God and here we are told to do the same to our parents this is hierarchy parents have moral weight in the shaping of children and the children ought to respect and ought to glorify this now in a very real sense parents represent God to their children and i'm not talking about it some weird salvific mediatorial way it's not it's not it's not that it's more it's not about atonement you're not their savior but you do in a sense represent God to your children in a moral or an ethical sense. You are demonstrating for your kids what it looks like to follow God. And, and if repentance isn't shown, they're gonna have a faulty view of who God is. If, if grace isn't shown, they're gonna have a faulty view of who God is. And so it's a difficult task for parents to do, for all of us to do, but we are to do that. We are to demonstrate and reflect God. We should, as the Westminster Catechism points out, we should pray for them. We should be thankful for them. We should imitate their virtues as a grace to us. We should listen to their instruction. Uh, We should submit to their corrections if need be. We should be faithful to them. We should acknowledge their, I'm using this in quotes, their rank, their rank as spiritual leaders and so on. And now I know not everybody has parents like this. I know that maybe you have parents who don't even believe in Christ and his kingdom, and they're not saved, they're not redeemed, but you can still treat them as such. You can still serve them, and you can still be grateful for them, even if you don't. And I'll come back to that a little bit more later. Now, the assumption, of course, is that the family, family, and I have to say this, because in our day and age, who knows, but our family... The family starts with one biological male and one biological female. That's how it starts. And they are in covenant with each other and, of course, with God. And we know from other passages that marriage should only be between a believer and a believer. We know that from 2 Corinthians 6.14. Two covenant members. A Christian should not marry a non-Christian. And don't even flirt with the idea. Don't even toy with the idea. Um, what, is, what fellowship does light have with darkness, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6.14, and he's speaking specifically to that issue. So don't even go down that road. Now, going back to the Garden of Eden, we note that the family was God's first institution. Go all the way back to Genesis. The family was God's first institution. It was not good for man to be alone, we see. In context, the emphasis, we know, is the achievement and the procurement of the Dominion Charter and the subordinate authority of Adam and Eve to God. They were told to work and keep the garden, and in working and keep the garden, they were to then subdue the earth. They were to make the rest of the earth the garden. They were to expand uh, in all of these areas, but they were to do so through the family. The family was God's institution from the very start, And, and the family is there to secure and procure the dominion charter. That's why you know, God gave children and the perpetuity of the covenant and all of these things. So Adam and Eve were to be kings and priests and prophets in the world. They were to build families. They were to create industry. They were to create commerce, develop culture. They were to dig up the treasures of the earth and, and, and progress and subdue into the future of generations to come. That's what they were supposed to do. They were supposed to dig into the ground and make the iPhone. They were supposed to, they were supposed to advance technology Um, which, of course, we know there's a razor-sharp edge with technology and what it does to us, both physically and mentally. The early part of Genesis tells us that the family was, first, a social unit. The family was a social unit, meaning it was the bedrock of all civilization. If you destroy the family, you destroy civilization. Civilizations are always built by families, every single time, historically speaking. This unit secured the perpetuity of the human race, children who have children who have children who have children. That was the idea. It was also a spiritual unit, not just a social unit with social ramifications, but it's a spiritual unit. The parents were shepherding. They were to shepherd and guide their children into maturity and wisdom. It wasn't a hands-off thing where you just tell them to give them a stick and tell them to figure it out. go build something, here you go. No, it's there's shepherding, there's guidance, there's wisdom, there's direction. It's a unit also of dominion and inheritance. Pa- parents training up their children, equipping them for wealth so that future generations can exercise godly dominion in the world. And this also means that children are to return the favor, as it were, by caring for their elderly parents. So, <laughs> more on that later, but essentially this commandment is about that to honor your father and mother. Jesus deals with the Pharisees who tried to put God before family false piety, right? They had not provided financially for their parents in their old age, but they sure gave the money to the temple. And Jesus says, well, actually that's kind of misguided. Um, it's not an either, or it's a both and, but it also requires you to have a heart disposition that Jesus knew wasn't there for them. In some respects, the commandment should be understood as instructions for adult children. In some respects, this commandment is mostly directed at adult children and how you treat your parents. Many of the early church fathers held this view and talked about it. Adult children are to honor their parents. But we also know from Scripture, and Rachel read this earlier, younger children are told by Paul in Ephesians 6 to obey their parents in the Lord. So adult children, honor your father and your mother. Young kids who are here, you are to obey your parents in the Lord. And Leviticus 19.3 supports this premise. Every one of you shall revere or fear his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Notice that the mother is listed here first this time. And that's, again, that's Leviticus 19.3. The mother is listed first. Second, notice that God invokes the Sabbath principle again. So honor your mother, honor your father, keep the Sabbaths. There's a connection. There are, some, there are some things that are in place that you're not to mess with in your life because they are there because God ordered it to be so. A social order that honors God's time, what we saw last week with the Sabbath, and God's core institution, the family, is a social order a society that will thrive but if you get rid of both of those things the main institution for the flourishing and, and dominion covenant and all these things if you get rid of that and you dismiss god's timetable you it's over your culture is dead it's going nowhere And and in that verse in Leviticus, it says to revere his mother and his father. The command is a different word in Hebrew, but to to revere is to fear, which carries the connotation of respect. So sort of the end of Ecclesiastes, fear God and keep his commandments. Don't be afraid of God, but respect God, treat him as the person that he is. Now we also, I'm sure you guys are uh, familiar with much of this in Proverbs, because Proverbs in a large part is a parenting textbook. Um, we have in the book of Proverbs tremendous insight on the family Uh, Proverbs 1 8 and 9 says hear my son your father's instructions and forsake not your mother's teaching for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck so the assumption is that the family being God's central institution which is a part of the church too becomes the locus of education training Healthcare, I have to throw that in there, but that's the locus of it. Uh, teach your kids homeopathic treatments. Teach you know teach them how to care for themselves because uh, we've we've long insisted that these state mandated doctors have it all figured out, and we know that they don't. But it should be the locus of education, training, uh, healthcare, learning a trade, perhaps learning business, and so on. That's Everything is situated there in the family. Fathers and mothers, not the civil government, are responsible for Christian education. They are called to the task of maturity and wisdom and dispensing that accordingly. And children, listen to me. Listen up. All right. Got your attention? Even you in the back, Logan. <laughs> your job is to obey your parents' wisdom. Are your parents perfect? No. Are you perfect? No. It's not about perfection here. (laughs) It's about wisdom. It's about maturity. It's about growth. Your job is is to respect that in your parents because guess what? They want you to follow the Lord. They want you to experience the blessings of the covenant. They want you to grow and mature so that you can get ready for battle because that's what we are. We are an army in the barracks preparing you. The Bible calls uh, you guys arrows, right? You're um, raising arrows from the book of Psalms, right? We want you to be a threat to the kingdoms of man. <laughs> so trust your parents, learn from them, uh, and, and respect what they say. And they're not always right. I'm not always right. I know that. But your disposition toward them, your, uh, your calling is to respect them, to obey them, and to honor them. And that's the only way to blessing as Proverbs emphasizes. And that leads us to our final observation about the text. Paul says in Ephesians 6 that this is the first commandment with a promise. It's the first commandment with a promise. What is the promise? Well, for Israel, the promise was long life in the land of promise, the promised land, which foreshadowed the rest of the earth. But Paul, he understood the New Testament economy in which he lived. So Paul changes that word. It's interesting. So that you live long in the land. What does Paul say? So that you live long life on the earth. you live a long life on the earth. Dominion, influence, affluence. The commandment meant to have longer life on the earth so that you would have those things. A, a, a legacy um, in terms of building God's kingdom. Now, back to this issue of honoring elderly parents real quick. Honoring elderly parents meant providing for their needs when they were older, which would naturally mean, generally speaking, of course, longer life. So if you're caring for them, it follows, well, they're going to live longer. And then you will too. And that's kind of like just the general promise here. It's based on covenant loyalty. and In God's infinite plan of generational dominion and blessing, honoring parents as a singular covenantal unit promised a longer life. It was a blessing for all societies. The nations were to look on Israel and say, wow, they care for their parents. They respect their parents. They provide for them in their old age. They don't just cart them off to some institution that's government controlled. They don't, there is no social security system in, in ancient Israel and nor should there be today because the responsibility is upon the family. And of course, families could be more wealthy today if the parasitic class government people didn't keep taking it from us. So that's a different issue, but the family is the locus of all of that. That's the focus. So to reject this commandment, which our culture has done, is to invite the wrath of God. Will we claim these promises? That's the question. <clears throat> now, I want to kind of pull some of these out and, and, and develop them further and, and do some more application on it. The modern man's understanding of the family is entirely void of any meaning or practical advantage. The modern man's understanding of the family is entirely void of any meaning or practical advantage. We live in an age of broken homes. Single-parent families, usually due to divorce, some of which is unlawful divorce, um, probably most of which is unlawful. We have foster families that exist, which are a good thing, but again, that's another state-controlled institution that shouldn't be there. But foster families sometimes exist because of abandonment or a whole host of reasons. We have, uh, I'm going to do the air quotes here, families with same-sex parents, which is not a family, not a parent, and so on. We have all these broken views of family in our culture today. In an age of IVF, in vitro fertilization. There's no need to have any blood relatives. One can have a family through the magic of beakers and petri dishes, which is, of course, a consigning of death millions of people who are made in the image of God. See, when family can be defined as anything and everything, then family means nothing. A worldview that embraces homosexuality, abortion on demand, and the idol of statism cannot be in any meaningful sense said to be pro-family. Our rejection of God's covenantal standards for the family means destruction. And that's what we have going on around us today. Family glory resides in God and his purpose for his people, which is generational dominion. Take the issue of authority, for example. No human possesses ultimate authority. No human being possesses ultimate authority other than Jesus. And certainly no institution does either. True and ultimate authority rightly belongs to God in however he chooses to get to delegate it. In this case, God has granted the family certain authority and thus certain jurisdiction to carry out his commands. And what does he command? Well, let's dive into this a little further. Some more, some more practical stuff here. The family is the institution for education. The family is the institution for education, not the state. Children are born to a husband and wife. They are fed, they are clothed, and they are taught their manners. Education, then, is always God-word. It's towards obedience to the Lord, who is the giver of life. So education, just some principles here. Education is to be comprehensive, touching all areas of life. When we teach our children that Jesus Christ is Lord of all, we are making a universal claim on education if jesus is lord of all then he owns education and he's given it to you as a family the teaching the guiding the directing the instruction and the knowledge has been given to you parents and no one else so that's a burden for you right it should be the responsibility is yours and however you choose to, to, whether that's homeschooling or if you, you know, bring in a hire, hire a Christian tutor or someone you trust, or you, that's your call. That's your job, though, is to handle that. It's not for anyone else to handle. Education isn't just comprehensive; it's also specialized. Not every child is the same. Some will be doctors. Some will be lawyers. Other will raise families on the farm, and some might start their own lawn care business. But when educating our children, we need to be good listeners. We need to be good listeners, and this way we can explore their interests, and of course we can guide them into their portion of the Dominion Charter. Um, it's really unhelpful to demand every child to be the president when they grow up. <laughs> we want that as institution gone anyway, <laughs> so let's not foster that. Um, but practical skills... Kids are all different all your parents know your kids are different. You know that from a very early age When they're very little you can tell that they have different temperaments And so we need to be listening to that and we need to try and of course to encourage that Into the direction they should go So what do your kids enjoy and how can you invest in them so they can take that passion for say car maintenance? I? Don't know why I picked that but I did car maintenance because we need those and how can you turn that into a successful business How can you help them turn that in someday to a successful business? For their kids too. When parenting, don't just parent your kids, parent your future grandkids too. And sometimes this means reverse engineering your life. The family is also for spiritual growth. It's the first church. The family is the first church. Children are to learn biblical doctrine, how to interpret the Bible, how to know the Lord, and how to serve the Lord in service to his kingdom. Education, of course, is tied to this because education rests on having a comprehensive religion. I got it. <laughs> All education is religious in nature. All education is. So are you praying with your children? Are you teaching your kids to pray? Some are more shy than others, but are you doing that in your home? That's, that's the question for you to consider. Um, we know that a few, few hours on a Sunday isn't going to get the job done. I am not capable of doing all of that in a 45-minute time frame. So are you doing it at home? Are they memorizing Scripture? Are they learning you know, to be familiar with the contours of biblical history and so on? Are they, maybe they need to write Scripture down. We've had generations of people who learn how to read and write just by dealing with the Bible. Are they learning from a catechism and so on and so forth? They need doctrine in order to mature. The family is also, so we have education, we also have, of course, spiritual growth, but the family is also ground zero for learning about the justice of God, His law, word, and what God expects of other men and women in society. We're teaching our kids how to love God and love neighbor. So how does God want us to treat older people, for example? How, do you, how are you kids supposed to treat older, older people? Let me give you a verse, I referenced it earlier. Leviticus 19.32 says, you shall stand up, kids listen to this, you shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man, and you shall fear your God, I am the Lord, so let me explain that, when someone, <laughs> when someone older than you comes into the room, stand up, shake their hand, look them in the eye, alright, that's a way you honor the fifth word. That's the way you honor the fifth word. Learning about the justice of God is, n- is not just learning about the, the penal codes of, of the law of God and how God punishes evildoers, though that, you know, they should learn that too. But it's not just about that. It's about basic ethics. How you treat your, your siblings, how to treat your boss, how to call your friend's parents, you know, Mr. Aaron and, and Mrs. Barron's or however you want to do it. It's, it's politeness, it's meekness, It's humility. The family is God's training ground for being a respectful young man or woman. Lastly, parents, help your kids potentially learn a trade. Help them to potentially learn something like that. This, I, I've sort of been on an anti-college kick for a while. Some, some of you may end up doing that. Um, but my guess is most of you probably shouldn't. The system's already broken and you don't want to come out of a four-year college degree with $100,000 in debt and, and get a $30,000 a year job. It's not going to work. So I think the future for the family, at least in of Christendom here in America, is going to look more like entrepreneurship or learning a trade, learn how to weld, learn how to do electricity, right? Do Run electric in a house. We already know that... Um, uh, Plumbing is obviously a, a, an area, too. There's a lot of areas that you can learn. Parents, maybe we need to start thinking about that. Teach them about growing a business. And also help them develop a theology of work, too. Children, again, I'm talking to you, too. Be thinking about the things that interest you so that you can learn more about it and perhaps capitalize on it someday by building a business around it. You're, very few of you are too young in this room to really be thinking about those things. See, the blessing of work and the expenditure of energy on creating things is, is best fostered in the home. And we should be doing that as parents. We should always be talking about such things. Now, <clears throat> as we get close to wrapping up here, the goal of parenting is the teaching and discipline of responsibility. That's one of the major goals of parenting. We want our kids to be responsible responsible people. The institution of the family is in place because God put it there. But the family, the family is, is an institution that belongs to the parents. It, it, it's not an institution that belongs to the parents or the children. I want to correct what I said there. It's not your institution. It's not your child's institution. It's not the modern state's institution. This institution is God's. And you need to drill that into your head. It's God's institution. So this means that being a parent or kids, being, just simply being a kid, a child, it re- requires responsibility, but it also requires the grace from, from God. How many of you this week, um, maybe some of the moms here, were you ever at any time frazzled? <laughs> oh, y'all are amazing. <laughs> Perhaps a moment of incredulity in thinking, wow, I can't believe I'm doing this right now. Um, So what do you need in that moment? Grace, (laughs) right moms? Dads too, but we need the grace of God. It's, It's the fuel for that engine. So we need to rely on the grace of God, know that this is God's, and then of course find ourselves within it. And of course responsibility, when we teach responsibility, we're teaching ownership. Parents, teach your kids stewardship. Stewardship of their bodies, through self-government, perhaps things like health and just general discipline. Obviously, we have, to, we have to teach our kids principles of hygiene. And, you know, there's a lot of things that come along with this. It's not just whether or not they can recite the catechism. But we're, we're trying to grow them and mature them so that they can, can thus be uh, equipped for the future as well. Uh, we're, we're also to uh, teach them stewardship of their education. Exploring what it is God has placed in them, teach them ownership of their actions, so they know how to repent of sin, how to pursue restitution. You know what happens if the one sibling took the other sibling's toy, and has anybody ever had that in your house where sheer anarchy breaks out, and it's mutiny on the ship, and we're all going down? Yes. Ever had that moment? Yep. All morning. <laughs> all morning. <laughs> Well, what do we do in that situation? Well, we need to teach principles of repentance. We need principles of restitution. And, and we're, we're not just trying, by the way, we're not just trying to get our kids to not fight <laughs> or argue with each other. We're trying to get them to deal with things because guess what? They're going to be adults and they're going to have to deal with it too. So how do we teach forgiveness? How do we teach repentance? Those types of things. Teach them what it means to be made in the image of God, so that they can find healing and grace in the gospel too. Because I'll tell you this: this is something that I had to learn the hard way. But years and years ago, I don't remember where I heard this, and I don't know Mary and I must have been talking about it. But I somehow it got in my head that I really need to make sure that my kids know that I'm a repentant man too. And. I think of when John the Baptist criticized the Pharisees and he said, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Bear fruit. Repentance is supposed to bear fruit. So if your kids never see you repent, they're not going to see the fruit. Side note, parental authority is not absolute. Disobedience is always something we can avail ourselves of, whether we're talking about unruly parents or unjust judges and magistrates or onerous elders in a church Proverbs 14.34 says righteousness exalts a nation but sin is a reproach to any people righteousness exalts a family righteousness exalts a family but sin is a reproach to people too children you are called to obey your parents in the Lord you are obeying God when you are doing that their instructions must align with the word of God But parents, you are to be honored, right? So be honorable. You are to be honored, so be honorable. Control yourself. The wrath and anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And guess what? It's not going to produce it in your children either. As we close, I want to come back to this issue of honoring. Jesus himself exemplifies this honoring of the Father by trusting in him, by submitting to his will, by listening and obeying him. In terms of glorification, there is a, there is a, um, there's a real glorification in parents of, uh, of parents and children. Children when they obey, there's glory there. Parents when they give words of encouragement and affirmation and instruction, there's glory there. There's glory from front to end of this relationship, because all of you here have parents. Some still with us, some not. But you have parents. You came from somewhere. And many of you have kids here. And kids, someday you're going to get married to a godly hu- husband or wife, right? And you're going to have children. And then their children are going to have children. And you can't see into that future. But there's glory in that. And God has promised to be faithful to a thousand generations. So if we will obey him and we will submit to him and we will honor our parents, we will honor God and one of my favorite verses verses in the Bible is when Jesus was being baptized, and you might, remember the seat, uh, the, uh, you might remember the scene where the father said, "This is my son, with whom I am well pleased." Do you remember that? That's family glory on display. That's family glory on display. Mutual honor between generations. When you are baptized into the covenant, the Father is saying that to you. You. God is pleased with you. Not because you're perfect, but because He's pleased with His Son. And you've been brought into His Son. You've died with with His Son. You've been raised with His Son. You are seated with the Son, Jesus Christ Himself. So how should we honor? Well, how should we honor our parents? This is for adult children here, the adult parents. uh, And of course... The little kids here how do we do this Well, we by learning by being attentive by respecting the institution by blessing your parents telling them that you love them it's a great way to do that to your parents by revering your parents by re repaying them that could mean future financial support uh, as they get old and can't take care of themselves never mock them never strike at them the bible says stuff about that never curse them or ever 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 show contempt for them this is hard especially when you don't agree about things right deuteronomy 27 16 says cursed be anyone who dishonors his father or his mother there's a lot at stake here with the family unit the decapitalization of the modern state, the destruction of Leviathan, the discipleship of the nations, the Dominion Charter, the conversion of people groups, and so on. There's so much at stake. And we're not going to achieve any of it by living short lives because we were disrespectful and showed contempt for our parents. And we're not going to live long lives if we don't glorify our parents. So let's pray and give God the glory. Father, you have been... Uh, exceedingly good to us as your children we we honor you and glorify you and we pray and and certainly ask that you would help us Uh, I know many of us some of us here may be in difficult situations with parents severe disagreements perhaps severe disagreements on on the nature of religion and Christianity and belief and unbelief and there are so many dynamics Lord but we we pray that you would help us and strengthen us that even despite those things, that we would fight through them by showing honor and being gracious and glorifying our parents. Perhaps someone needs to call their parents today and deal with, deal with that. I don't know the situations, God, you do, but I pray that you would equip us for the task. And we pray that you would bless our children. The children here who will go on someday to lead their own uh, family units who will, who will leave and cleave to their spouse and, and produce for your glory children and business and all of these things. We pray for them, Lord, for the grandkids and the kids after. Lord, we want to see this, this county changed and this country changed. And we know that uh, you intend to do that. But we are called to faithfulness, so would you help us in that? In Christ's name I pray. Amen.